I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, the layperson's guide to enjoying music's benefits. Our guest today joins us from Mount Vernon, New York. Dr. Conchetta Tomeno is the executive director and co-founder of the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function, IMNF. Her co-founder was the late renowned author and neurologist Oliver Sacks. Her work is highlighted in two feature films based on Dr. Sacks' work, the 1990 film Awakenings with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams and The Music Never Stop. Dr. Tomino is internationally known for her research in the clinical applications of music and neurologic rehabilitation. She lectures on music therapy throughout the world. Her work has been featured in national programs, including 60 Minutes, in international programs, including the BBC, and in books on health and healing. She has served on many boards and received numerous awards. She is on the faculty of Lehman College of the City University of New York and Concordia College, New York. It is an honor to have you with us today, Dr. Tamino. Welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Music has gotten a lot of attention, international attention, for its positive effects on a whole host of neurological conditions, including stroke, trauma, dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease. Our focus today is on patients with neurological impairments who also suffer from depression and lack of motivation. We're going to be talking about how music is an incredibly effective and low-risk form of intervention for these folks. Our emails that we've exchanged on this topic have used the term active music-making therapy in this context. So just to clarify as we get started, are we talking today specifically about actually making music, like singing, playing a musical instrument, versus listening to either recorded or live music. Most of my work and and the effective work in helping people with neurologic impairments is live, interactive music making. And and interactive, I mean, with the music therapist, both coordinating, inspiring, not directing in a strict way, but facilitating optimal responses from the client the therapist is working with. There are times where we will use receptive music listening to uh, facilitate things like pain or optimize mood when active music making isn't possible or if we want to extend the effect of music therapy when the therapist is not present. Okay, so when we talk today about active music making therapy, it could be actually making and creating music and playing an instrument or singing, or it could be an interactive situation with a music therapist using recorded or improvised music right there created on the spot? That's correct. Okay. Studies on depression have shown that music therapy can improve mood and enhance physical rehabilitation and motor function. Talk to us about how this active music making can affect those who are suffering from neurological impairments and depression or lack of motivation or both. Sure. Well, let's let's take an example of somebody who's lost their speech related to a stroke. So somebody who has aphasia is unable to form fluid sentences anymore, but can still sing words if they're part of a song. Mm -hmm. For that individual, it comes to a surprise to them that they can sing. Mm -hmm. And when they hear themselves singing words that come out easily, their mood and motivation improves greatly because they see some glimmer of hope. Mm. 
uh, used to be neurologists would tell their patients that, that just because they could sing didn't mean there would be any carryover to recovery of speech function because singing is a, is dominant in, in another part of the brain that may not be affected by the stroke area mm-hmm. in language, the language area of the brain. However, my research and also that of many others um, since my research was back in, in the early 90s have shown that using words embedded in song as well as melodic cueing or melodic intonation therapy mm-hmm. actually does enable the person with aphasia to form words and form sentences and be able to retrieve words that they had trouble doing prior to the music yeah, intervention. Yeah. It was really interesting. Back on episode four, we interviewed Megan Morrow, who works with... Oh, good. Yeah, yes. Gabby Giffords. And actually, she mentioned that movie that your work was featured in, Awakenings. She had watched that as a kid. I think she said she was about eight years old, and it really got her attention and made a big impact on her and made her see, wow, music can really help people that's kind of the start of her wanting to go into music therapy as a vocation, which was really interesting. Sure. Yeah. And she, she talked quite a bit about how music can rewire the brain. So we, we were able to hear from her about that, which was fascinating. Um, what about people who are experiencing depression, lack of motivation? Well, that's, so yeah, so that's um, carryover or the one of the prominent effects of of music therapy in these situations is that for the patient who has lost hope because of their neurologic impairment and has depression, being able to understand that they can regain function or improve function through music mm-hmm. is the first step in helping them overcome the depression. Mm, sure, there's also there's also and, and we know this um, because of neuroscience research that when somebody is actively making music, when somebody is actively expressing themselves through music, there is the potential of elevating neurochemicals in the brain like serotonin and dopamine. Mm-hmm they also improve mood. So there's a, a neurochemical response to active music making that can elevate mood as well. Many applications of music therapy and music psychotherapy allow the active music making interaction with the therapist to be a, a, a conduit to repressed feelings, repressed fears, aspects of the person's um, psyche that they haven't been able to bring to the surface or have in the midst of their own injury, neurologic impairment, that they haven't found the words or can't get deep enough into their feelings to be able to express it outright. And maybe they've compensated somehow and, and just accepted the fact that this is going to be life. And, uh-huh. and so they have what's called ambiguous loss and active music making can give them a way of expressing themselves in the most more robust way, mm. especially with the therapist present to help them unfold some of those feelings and be able to find what is possible for them. Mm. You mentioned music psychotherapy. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Tell me about that. Oh, um, well, there's a whole area of, of music therapy um, training that deals with using music within the psychotherapeutic experience, um, analytic music therapy, Mary Priestley, that training is is very much music psychotherapy. And there's several advanced trainings in music therapy that use music 
in the course of, of psychotherapy. So the music therapist has advanced training in psychotherapy and uses the mu music expression, the nonverbal aspects of, of the music to allow the client, the patient to really find where those fears are, where those limitations are, where the possibilities are, so they can express it in a very safe way. Oh, so it's sort of like a psychotherapy session, but somehow music is used to help draw things out. Exactly. Ah, interesting. Now, how important in a situation like that, or with a patient who's kind of the top of our of our discussion today, how important is it that this music that's used in the therapy be of personal importance to them? I saw that come up over and over that it's music of personal importance that is so impactful. You know, it, it depends. It depends on the client and it depends on what the goals are for that session. So, for example, if the person is unable to express themselves verbally because of the traumatic brain injury, there may be a, a piece of music that can help reflect what they may be going through mm -hmm. as a way to allow them to express themselves. Active music making doesn't have to be related to personally preferred music at all. Okay. It could be pure improvisation. And in fact, the, the pure improvisation of the moment really allows for, um, there's been really great research that shows that when somebody is actively making music and in the midst of creating music on the spot, that they don't self-monitor or, or restrict their self-expression. Mm. And it's in those moments of total freedom, of, of you know, reduced self-limitation, that some of the inner feelings and the inner aspects of that person's world come to the surface. And it's mm -hmm. at that point that we could deal with some of those those fears and inhibitions that may have been present for that individual. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about music and music making, bringing hope and how it's encouraging for patients to realize I can sing, I may be able to speak again, or I can sing and that's something I can do, just recognizing that and maybe seeing some progress. I could see how learning to play a musical instrument would be really motivating and encouraging too, just because of that sense of purpose and seeing progress, even if it's small progress. Is that also a big part of this um, effectiveness? It could be. Uh, in, my, in my work, I tend not to have the opportunity to teach somebody to play a musical instrument rather than use the, the musical instruments as a conduit for self-expression and allowing the person to connect as, pos as much as possible to free themselves up to be able to uh, not only express themselves, but also deal with emotional issues and to improve physical and cognitive function. Yeah. I'm thinking though, and I'll, I'll, there's a, a couple of exceptions because I do have a, a private patient who has had some facial paralysis and we're actually starting trumpet lessons. I'm a professional oh, trumpet player. Yeah. And and we figured out that if I could get him to buzz on a mouthpiece, he may be able to improve the integrity of, of one side of his, his face. And yeah. it's happening. Oh, so wow. when when the situation warrants it, then therapeutic music lessons could be a, a very um, important 
aspect of, sure. of the treatment. In this particular situation, was the client previously a trumpet player or is trumpet playing no, new? No, not, not at all. I'm trying, so frustrated with his situation, okay. trying to find um, something meaningful to do with his life and figured now that he's not working, maybe he can start a musical instrument. Mm, sure. Okay. Uh, you are a trumpet player. Tell us about your musical playing background. Did you start playing as a kid? I started, I took accordion lessons as a kid oh. um, for, for many, many years and then picked up trumpet in high school. And it's actually because the trumpet that I ended up in music therapy, to tell you the truth, because I was a pre-med student in college, but I wanted to take trumpet lessons. So in order to do so, I had to become a music major at the college. Mm. So double majored in science and music. Mm for a couple of years and then realized that I couldn't give give either one of them up <laughs> and learned about the field of music therapy through a magazine article in 1974. Okay. <laughs> and tried to find a school that had a program in music therapy. Most of them were all in the Midwest and I couldn't leave town. And NYU had just started the music therapy program in 71. So I just literally graduated in 76 and went straight on to my master's in music therapy at NYU in, okay. in 76, like a week after I graduated. Oh, wow. Now, music therapy became a formal profession in the late 40s, early 50s. I'm That's surprised correct. that it was not until the 70s that some of those universities in New York actually had a program for that. Right. So NYU had just started this in, in 71. I believe Temple might, might have had one before NYU. Okay. And in order to become a music therapist, uh, or at least to get registered as a music therapist from the original National Association, you had to graduate from one of their schools. Mm. Okay. And so without the schools on the East Coast, it was it was limiting on what was possible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you co-founded IMNF in 1995 with Dr. Oliver Sachs. How did IMNF come to be? Dr. Sachs and I, I, I came to Beth Abraham in 1980, and, and Beth Abraham was, Hospital was where the awakenings took place mm -hmm. that Dr. Sachs is well known for, yeah. both in his writing and the film. He was interested very much in how music and rhythm can animate people who had limited physical function because of neurologic damage. And I had already had worked two years prior with people with Alzheimer's disease and, and, and stages of dementia and was interested in how music could arouse responses in people who were deemed to be non-responsive. How, mm -hmm. how does music allow somebody with and stages of dementia to recognize music and, and recall words to songs? So he sought me out because he was interested in music and music therapy, and we became really close friends. And together for several, I mean, he worked at the same facility, so mm -hmm. um, he referred patients to me. I would engage them in my music therapy sessions, and then we report back to him either through notes or, or verbally on their progress, and then he would incorporate that into his assessments and his notes. By the mid-1980s, we were starting to get, he was starting to publish more, and I had become president of the American Association for Music Therapy in 1988. I was starting to get some interest from international TV mm. on music therapy and music and medicine. Oliver uh, was starting to, he had just written uh, the book, the, the Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and then also Awakenings, the film. Mm -hmm. 
came out in 91. So in that, in that period between 1988 and 1992, we had both of us in, in separate ways, but um, many times together, opportunities to talk about music and, and different kinds of neurologic conditions. In his case, he was talking about the awakenings patients. In my case, I was talking about rehabilitation and music and music therapy and the promise of music and, and memory for people with dementia. Well, our board of directors at the hospital was curious about why the media was coming to visit us and realized that we were really onto something mm. and helped us connect with several important people and supported this, the foundation of the Institute in 90, 1995. What, what really made that happen was in 1993, I put together a conference, the first one at Beth Abraham, on clinical applications of music in neurologic function. It was the first time that Dr. Sachs talked about music and the brain. It was at Beth Abraham. Our administration had never held a conference before. Yeah. And they were curious if anybody would show up. Yeah. And it turned out that we had 125 people. That was the max that we could hold in the auditorium. 125 people showed up and we had to turn away people because oh, we were wow. oversubscribed. <sighs> and we had people from the Grammy Association there who were really? interested in what we were doing. And they and found we, out about it through this movie, The Awake Awakenings? Uh, no, well, they knew of all of it through the movie Awakenings. And okay. so that was the caveat to get people to be interested. Okay. There was only only the beginnings of interest in music and the brain because the neuroscience community, the, this was still too novel an area for them to investigate. Okay. In, in 1993, a neuroscientist was still just looking at clicks and beeps <laughs> in the brain. Okay. To see, so uh, we've come a long way, and it actually Oliver and I had met with scientists back in the eighties, and at that point they said they couldn't study music and the brain specifically, but obviously over that? time the the technology you okay. know allows for real time imaging and okay. and all that. So we've come light years ahead <laughs> with the MRI probably being a Fun functional MRI, the ability to to look at the different components of music. And where they, how they get integrated into neurologic perception. Okay. So since the functional MRI has been around, has that changed the research that's been done on this area? So now that we can see more inside the brain? Oh, sure. Uh, in fact, that's what's really allowed music therapy to be elevated in, in the eyes of scientists and government agencies, um, because you can see now in real time mm -hmm. how neuroplasticity takes place mm -hmm. after, after music experiences or, or music learn, music enhanced learning. Mm -hmm. and, and by that, I mean that the changes in the brain took place because of something that happened within repetitive music mm. experiences. So, hmm. you know, like Gabby Gifford's brain changing after mm. intense music therapy yeah. and melodic intonation therapy. Yeah, yeah. I saw that music therapy is sometimes referred to in other, like, more scientific terms in order to gain funding. Like, instead of being called music therapy, it'll be called timing mechanisms or frequency mechanisms. Is that still the case? In in some sense, it is. You know, when when Robert Satori, who's who's like the grandfather of of music neuroscience, when he first applied for grants back in in the in the eighties and nineties, he had to say complex auditory stimuli. 
Okay. Instead of music to get funding. <laughs> Nowadays, you can't just you can't just say music, the word music, to get funding. Obviously, because music means so many different things. So you sure. really have to break it down. Okay. Is it is it auditory cueing rhythm? Mm, is that makes it sense. so? In order to to get funding from one of the high end, you know, mm-hmm. from, from NIH, you really have to be specific sure. about what aspect of music is gonna sure. be the stim- stimulus uh-huh. and how you're gonna measure that response. Sure. Is it still the case that very few states will reimburse for music therapy? Medicaid won't cover it. What is the current status of insurance plans recognizing sure. the value? You know, uh, I know in other states, uh, music therapy is covered in in rehabilitative services. Okay. I do know in New York State under creative arts therapy that music therapy as a creative arts therapy is billable under behavioral health services. Mm -hmm. Okay. But not in rehab yet. That's something in, in, at least in my state, that we're still fighting for acknowledgement. So okay. each state has different approaches. Different insurance companies mm-hmm. have different requirements. I have a private client who was just able to bill, believe it or not, under activity therapy because on the, the event, Medicare Advantage plan that you don't have to specify the specific therapy, but the, the therapy, the intervention has to be measurable and has to be goal-oriented and okay. address a specific need of the client. So in, in my case, our individual clients may be working on cognitive issues or emotional issues, mm-hmm. but cognitive issues that may be hindered because of emotional setbacks. Mm-hmm. And so the agency that we were working through was able to build the Medicare Advantage plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, great. Well, on the show, I have a a segment that I call the improv. It's an experiment or a try this at home that will enhance listeners' lives with music. Do you have an improv you can suggest to our listeners today? Sure. I've published a few of them, and I'll I'll, uh, send one that you can share with your listeners. Mm -hmm. It has to do with using music to help with ambulation. I don't think I've ever heard of ambulation. So, so people who have movement disorders, people who, um, people with multiple sclerosis, people with Parkinson's disease. Oh, so ambulation um, with a B? Ambulation, yes. <sighs> Got it. We know now scientifically that, that rhythm engages motor areas of the brain mm-hmm. to synchronize in a certain way. And so people who have irregular gait or may have issues with balance will find that their gait becomes more regular if they walk to music. Mm. And in this case, the music can be some music that they like to listen to, so preferred music, but it's really the rhythm of the music that structures how they walk. And it all has to do with the way music engages brain function in very specific ways. So in this case, it would be music to help you improve your gait, um, improve your balance, but also using music then to help you self-regulate emotions mm. too. So there's different aspects that people can use music. The way music can be used or rhythm can be used to help organize movement, rhythm can also be used to help with racing thoughts mm-hmm. and distractions that may make people feel anxious and overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you use the music to um, over-engage your neurologic system so your mind isn't focused or distracted by 
sort of rumination and mm-hmm. and thinking too much okay. that can lead to anxiety and and different aspects. Sure. So we can use music to organize motor function, but we can also use music to help sedate or to relax or to distract from things that may be anxiety provoking. Sure. Well, I'll look forward to posting that article on the show notes. Can you describe just in a nutshell what people would actually do? They would create their own playlist. Okay. And the way they would select the music is by taking a few steps or tapping. There's some um, apps where you can actually, like metronome app, mm-hmm. where you can figure out what that tempo is. Okay. And through various online apps, you can find music that's in that tempo. Sure. How many beats And create a, a, walking, a walking playlist oh. based on that tempo, so your optimal walking speed, uh-huh. and have that playlist on when you want to be out and about and okay. don't want to get stuck or freeze or stumble and okay. keep you walking at a maximum. Sure. So you would find music that's tempo matches the activity that you're going to be doing, whether it's walking or something else. What about people who are right. suffering from impairments and they want to use, can this help us run faster <laughs> for our running for exercise? It, it can, it, it can, it can optimize. Um, if you want to push yourself to a, the next level, mm-hmm. there's actually been studies that show that when you're running to music, you actually run longer and with less pain Okay, because you don't tire as quickly. Uh-huh. And that has to be because of the high they get both from the physical activity plus from the music that motivates you. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Too so music that's that's highly motivating mm-hmm. can help with optimal performance. Okay, so there we get back to the personal connection can make a difference there. That's right. Wonderful. How can listeners learn more about your work and connect with you? We do have a website, and it's the initials of the institute. It's i m n f dot org, as well as a Facebook page that's under the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function. The Facebook page is the best way to see what's going on because we do have events from time to time and I'm always posting new research that's getting published in neuroscience related to music Mm. and the mind. Mm -hmm. So it's a good way for people to pick up information. Mm -hmm. And then they can also reach us by email at imnf at wartburg, W-A-R-T-B-U-R-G dot org. Okay, wonderful. You're also on LinkedIn? Or is that the Institute that people should, should um, search I'm on for? LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. Okay. So you are on and also IMNF is on LinkedIn? That's correct. Okay. I see another website for you too. Also, it's a researchgate.net profile. Is that, does that feature? That's your- right. So if people want copies of my papers, mm-hmm. they can find them at ResearchGate. Okay. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Wonderful. Well, I ask every guest to end our episode with what I call a coda, a musical ending. This could be sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have some kind of a coda that you can share with us today? Sure. You know, my my love is so, so filled with music. I think my interest in playing the trumpet was when I was very young, I got to hear Louis Armstrong and Count Basie live at a local part. And I was so inspired by that. (laughs) They felt that if I could ever play another instrument, it'd be trumpet. And trumpet has led me to all these amazing connections with people and different organizations and Mm -hmm. eventually into music therapy. Ah, very neat. 
It's amazing how amazing performers can just really touch our hearts and inspire us. And especially when you think, how old were you at the time when you heard them play? I must have been 10, 9 or 10 years old. Ah, really made the difference for sure. Sure. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for your time and your expertise. And thank you for all that you do to make the world a better place through music. Thank you listeners for joining us today. A special thank you goes to listener Julie. Julie says, I'm a dental hygienist and many clients plug in their earbuds and listen to music or podcasts while getting their teeth cleaned, either because it helps them avoid feeling anxious or just because it makes the time more enjoyable for them. Sometimes I recommend this to clients and they may say, is that okay? I feel like it's rude. I assure them it's perfectly fine. Okay, this is another listener improv that falls into the category of, I wish I thought of this a long time ago. I don't know why this never has occurred to me. My dentist does have TV screens for us to watch while they're working on us, and the patient can select the channel, but I'm not really a network TV watcher, so I always just default choose news, but it's just sort of to pass the time, and I would much rather be listening to one of the regular podcasts I subscribe to. I have to tell you, Julie, that this listener improv made such an impact on me that I had a dream about it. (laughs) I had a dream that I showed up for my regular dental cleaning, and once I got there, I realized I had forgotten my earbuds. I was so irritated with myself. I was like, I just heard this great idea. I totally planned on doing it. I was looking forward to it. Can't believe I completely biffed on bringing my earbuds. I am totally doing this at my next dentist appointment. Not forgetting, but bringing the earbuds and using this listener improv. Thank you, Julie. Please, listeners, let me know, like Julie, a practical, concrete way you enhance life with music. Leave a comment on my website, mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. Comment on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or send me an email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review in whatever podcatcher you use. And tell a friend. Word of mouth is the biggest influencer. If you have a smart speaker, remember, you can listen to the show by saying Alexa or Hey Google, Play Enhanced Life with Music Podcast. Show notes for this episode are located at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 16. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.